Okay, would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Twice in his life, David was an exile. This is the second time. It's an, it's a, it's an intriguing part of uh, David's life. And we see the intervention of the Lord, just like in Saul's case against David. So here as well, because the covenant between Yahweh and David is, of course, still active and will be until David dies. So David knows, matter of fact, some of his best psalms probably... Eight or ten, maybe. Some of his best psalms were written when he was on the lamb, when he was running from his son, Absalom, uh, during this period of his life. So let's look at it. The son who would be king. You know the story. Four years or so earlier, Amnon raped Tamar, who was his half-sister, but it was Absalom's full sister. And Absalom waited two years until his time came, and he killed his brother for what he had done to the sister. Killed him. Murdered him. That put David in a difficult place. Remember the prophet said that the sword would not depart from his household. And this just keeps going like this. So Absalom was exiled by his father, the king, King David. Until the time came when Absalom finally said, I have to get out of this place and come back home. And David let him come back, but said that he would not look upon his face. He could not have any contact with David. Then, of course, after some time, Absalom pressed the issue further and said, look, I'm going to go and see my father. And if it kills me, it kills me. But uh, I need to know and, and, and death is better than living like what I'm living in. So David, when he came in the presence of David, David kissed him and he, he uh, forgave him. And he gave him some responsibilities. Now, we also saw that Absalom was an extraordinarily handsome man. And he had this real thick, beautiful head of hair. And a winsome personality. So everybody just was charmed by him every time people saw him. They, they enjoyed his personality. Of course, his looks. And this gave him a lot of points with the people in the kingdom. The brother he had slain, Amnon, was the heir to the throne. Now Absalom, if you're going in order, would be the heir to the throne. 
So Absalom is making himself now very visible. We'll see that as we get into this. And this is apparently all part of, uh, of his plan. So I, I've divided this chapter into really two parts. The first part is treason. It came to pass after this that Absalom made for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men were running before him. So he put together this glamorous royal bodyguard group, obviously made himself a nice looking chariot and garnered a lot of attention in front of the people riding around with these men, it would, it would create a stir wherever he went. So here's the gorgeous Absalom with all that beautiful hair. You remember he cut it once a year and it weighed like 20 pounds or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but um, everything about this in verse one just naturally draws the attention of the people. Absalom would rise up and stand beside the path of the gate. Now this is where civil court was held. This is where judges, magistrates, judges would settle issues. Absalom as far as everybody was concerned, I don't know that it was in the mind of David, but it was in the mind of everybody else that Absalom was heir to the throne. David, with all of his exploits and victories and wonderful things that he had done to build the nation, still at this point was old news. Absalom was the new thing on the block. He would rise up, stand beside the path of the gate, and this is where, as I said, there'd be crowds of people, people expecting to, be, to get relief over a lawsuit of some kind. And it was when any man that would have a suit due to come to the king for judgment, then Absalom called to him and he said, from what city are you? And he said, of one of the tribes of Israel uh, is your servant. I'm one of the tribes of Israel. I'm your servant is, is how it would read. So he's real outgoing and he's talking to the people and mingling with the people uh, and they're expecting some kind of help, either a backlog or something, but the king is not bringing in the people as quickly as people expect to have their issue resolved. So Absalom begins to make friends with them here at the, at the gate. Absalom said to him, See, your words are good and right, but there is none of the king's judges to hear you. And Absalom said, Oh, who will appoint me judge in the land? And every man who has a quarrel or suit will come to me, then I will surely do him justice. Well, that's just perfect. He's the king's son. He's heir to the throne. And he's friendly. He, he's outgoing. We feel comfortable around him. So, okay. He begins to make his case that really he needs to be the one to settle their issues and their problems with one another. And it would be when a man came near to prostrate himself before him 
that he put forth his hand and took hold of him and kissed him. He's a politician. He's schmoozing everybody everywhere. So best looking guy in the world. Great head of hair. (laughs) Snazzy chariot. Well-dressed, I'm sure well-mannered bodyguards. And goes right into where people are troubled and begins to offer himself for giving them relief in their problems. So not just that, he gets real personable with the people. Absalom did likewise to all of the Israelites that came to the king for judgment. And Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He was winning the popularity contest. The the polls would have had him 30 points ahead of David as far as who needed to be king in the land. And so nobody is hindering him from doing these things. And he's just going everywhere to everybody, uh, offering himself for help, to help them in legal issues in the way that they need help. And then becomes very friendly with all of the rest of the people. It came to pass at the end of 40 years. Now this is a disputed, not disputed, but it's, it's confusing as to what this means. Whatever it means, this 40 year thing, uh, it means that it was time. It was time legally for Absalom to go and make a sacrifice uh, to Yahweh in Hebron. So at that time he came to the king, allow me to go, I beg you, and pay my vow, which I have vowed to Yahweh in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow during my state in Geshur in Aram, saying, if Yahweh shall bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve Yahweh. Some people think that there's a mistranslation and that in an ancient translation, it could also mean four because four years from the time he came back, but it will go, it's pretty clearly 40. Uh, We'll go with what it is and hardly anybody can tell you definitely what it means. Bottom line is the story that he gave his daddy was I made a vow Yahweh delivered and brought me back and it is time for me to pay my vow and I will serve Yahweh. Well, how are you going to tell somebody not to serve the Lord? How are you going to tell, if you, especially if you're King David, how are you going to tell somebody, nope, not going to let you do what you promised to do for the Lord? Well, he couldn't do that. The king said to him, go in peace. And he arose and went to Hebron. Now this whole thing as you'll see, is a conspiracy in the making for Absalom to steal the throne from his father. Now let's think about it. The whole issue starts with David and Bathsheba. With his failure regarding Bathsheba, he has revealed himself to these children that he already had 
that he, David, is terribly flawed. It's very difficult then for him to give them any kind of fatherly advice because of what he did in his life. The prophet has said, you are forgiven, David, but you're going to have trouble in your family from now on and the sword will not depart from your Well, it started with one son killing the other because that son raped a sister. There are these consequences of sin that just keep falling and falling into place. Now, Absalom sees no reason to have respect. And the truth is, if he didn't have any problem killing one brother, he wouldn't have any problem killing all of his brothers or even his father, the king. So we keep that in mind. Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the shofar, then you shall say Absalom is king in Hebron. So he sees where he can have a base of operations and begin to be acknowledged in a very powerful place, begin to be acknowledged as king, surrounded by those who are his cronies. They are, they are his supporters, so to speak. And with Absalom went 200 men that were invited and went in their innocence and did not know of anything. However, Absalom knows that they are gullible and they're going with him because they think so highly of him. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Now this is David's chief counselor. This is the guy that knows everything about what King David does. And he knows how King David thinks. And he now is invited to come and join Absalom to leave David and to come to Absalom. From his city, from Galah, as he offered the sacrifices and the conspiracy was strong and the people with Absalom were steadily increasing. Now you think back in the time when Saul was king, you know, the little, the maidens were singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. There was a time when David was more popular than Saul. It was a long time. And then he became king and was very popular. This is somewhat similar, but the evil here is not on part of the king. And David never tried to gain this popularity. He did what the king had told him to do. And he fought the wars and he commanded the men and he won the battles and he was very good at what he did. And he never conspired in any way, even when he was anointed and even when he had uh, situations where he could have killed the king and he refused to do so. So you can see the difference between the situation regarding Saul and David and David and Absalom. Absalom here is the evil mind. He's a, he's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a conspirator. So the conspiracy here, he keeps with his winsome charm and, and uh, personality and his looks and the, the glamour that he surrounds himself with, he is really coming over across to the people as being very favorable. Just like Saul, because of how he looked, 
the people liked him so much. So it is with Absalom here. David then is forced to escape his own palace. Messenger came to David saying the hearts of the people of Israel are after Absalom. He has won the hearts of the people. David said to all of his servants that were with him in Jerusalem, arise and let us flee. For there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he hurry and overtake us and bring upon us evil and smite the city with the edge of the sword. He knew the lay of the land. He knew where the armies were. And David, of course, feared that it wouldn't take much for the bigger part of the armed forces uh, to go over to Absalom. And the king's servants said to the king, whatever my lord the king shall choose, behold, your servants are ready to do. So David has his own small army. Some of them were armed forces and some of them were volunteers. But he has these people who are ready to die for him. And the king went forth and all of his household were right behind him. And the king led the ten women who were concubines to keep the house. And the king went forth and all the people were right behind him and they remained standing at the farthest house. And all of his servants passed on beside him and all of the archers and all of the slingers. This was a, this was a force of, uh, of, of, of uh, the army that were always loyal to David. So they were close to him. All the Gittites, 600 men that came after him from Gath passed on before the king. So he had his mighty men uh, he had this, this army that had joined them who were actually Gentiles, but they came in and remained solidly loyal to David as well as his special forces. And they all were close around him and they came with him in leaving the city. The king said to Ittai the Gittite, why do you also go with us? Return and abide with the king for you are a foreigner and if you are wont to wander, go to your own place. Only yesterday you came, and today I should move you about with us, seeing that I go wherever I can go. Return and take back your brothers with you, and do kindness and truth to them. Go back to where you came from. You'll be safer there. You don't need uh, to follow after me. And Itai answered the king and said, As Yahweh lives, and as my lord the king lives... That in the place where my Lord the King shall be, whether for life or for death, for there shall your servant be. In other words, we are not going to leave you. We are loyal to you. And if it means life or if it means death, we will not leave you. So these, these loyal uh, army people will stay with him. David said to Ittai, go and then and pass over. And Ittai the Gittite passed over. And so did all his men. They were crossing an area where there was a river and so forth. And all the little ones that were with him and all the land wept with a loud voice. And all the people passed over and the king passed over the brook Kidron. And all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Now this is not new for David, but he has a lot, he's much older now and he has a lot more people to care for than he did before. And Lozadok also came and all the Levites with him. This is the priesthood. 
bearing the Ark of the Covenant of Elohim. And they set down the Ark of Elohim and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished passing out of the city. And the king said to Zadok, carry back the Ark of Elohim to the city. If I find favor in the eyes of Yahweh, then he will bring me back and he will show me it and his habitation. But if so, he says, I do not warn you. Behold, here I am and let him do to me as seems good in his eyes. David, at this point in his life, has learned to completely cast his future, his fortunes, his life, everything about him, just to put it in the hands of Yahweh. Here's why. Yahweh has established a covenant with him. Yahweh does not break his covenant. So he completely and totally depends upon Yahweh. And he just says, here I am. If he wants me to be where I'm supposed to be as king, he'll make it happen. If he doesn't want it, it won't happen. So let him do is whatever seems good in his eyes. The king said to Zadok the priest, do you not see? Return to the city in peace. And Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, your two sons, shall be with you. See, I will tarry in the plains of the wilderness until there comes word from you to announce to me. And Zadok and Abiathar returned the ark of Elohim to Jerusalem, and they abode there. So now they're going to be eyes and ears for David. They'll let David know everything that's happening in the city and with Absalom. And David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went up. And he had his head covered and he went barefoot. So he's, he's in mourning, he's in grieving. And all the people that were with him, every man covered his head, weeping as they went up. And someone told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators. Remember, that's the chief counselor that Absalom called for is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, and this is his prayer, make foolish, I beg you, the counsel of Ahithophel, Yahweh. So David's prayer to Yahweh here is, let everything that comes out of his mouth be foolish and wrong and let him give all of the wrong counsel to Absalom. And David was coming to the top where he would prostrate himself to Elohim. And behold, towards him came Hushai, the archite, with his shirt torn and earth upon his head. So he is, he is grieving as well. David said to him, if you pass on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and you say to Absalom, I, O king, will be your servant just as I was previously your father's servant and now I'm your servant, then you will be able to frustrate for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Now, David is still the king. David does his best work when he's in a crisis. And he's in a, so he's laying, he's laying the framework for how Absalom will surely fail because Absalom just doesn't know how to run the kingdom. He hasn't been trained. He hasn't been in the court of the king. Uh, I think we talked earlier about how the heir to the king was always in on the meetings and he was always in on this special training and he learned all kind of stuff. 
Absalom has none of that. So he tells this guy to go back, Hushai, the archite. He says, you go back, You're, you, you will better serve me as my eyes and my ears. And you tell him that you'll serve him like you served me. And then do everything you can do to frustrate the counsel that's given to him by Ahithophel. And have you not there with you Zadok and Abiathar the priest? So some of the top people in Jerusalem are still loyal to David and they are his spies. And it shall therefore be that everything you hear from the king's house, you shall tell Zadok and Abiathar the priests. And behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaaz to Zadok and Jonathan to Abiathar. And through them, you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, the archite, the friend of David, came into the city and Absalom was coming to Jerusalem. Now, this is the end of the chapter. We end it here. Uh, it, gets, it gets more interesting as it goes. For you and me, as we study this, we cannot help but think back of how far reaching the consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba really goes. It goes beyond the time frame when it happened. It has gotten now into his kingdom and into the, into the hearts of the people who had been closest to him. And it has so happened that one of his own sons finds himself in the right place at the right time to draw all of the attention away from David and to himself. Now, here's the problem. The word of God is broken and God is shown to be a liar if Absalom succeeds. So we're to see all that is uh, on the line uh, with this with this issue of David and Absalom. This is just the beginning of it. Um, but of course the story deepens as it goes and the Lord continues to give us lessons on this. David still has powerful friendships and he still knows how to deal with a crisis. We shouldn't think that David is absolutely defenseless. David knows what's going on and with the wisdom that God has given him, he knows how to respond and he knows exactly what he needs to do to make sure that the time will come that he returns to the throne. And we'll see how that works itself out in the next few chapters. But for now, we'll have our, uh, our deacon prayer time.